Man, good singing, team. Uh, that, was, that was a blessing for sure. Uh, I, I want to ask, though, is it well with your soul? Like as, as Ryan prayed a while ago, that's something we can say because we know that song. We love that song. Um, but, but can you mean that when you say it? Is, it? is it well with your soul? Do you rejoice in the bliss of this glorious thought? That your sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Does that stir something in your heart that says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And I hope that is the case for you. And if it's not, maybe today is the day that everything changes. Let me invite you right off the bat in response to the truth that we have been singing over the last 30, 40 minutes. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today. Be saved today. Why wait? Why wait to the end of the service to cry out to the Lord to save you, to cry out for his rescue, to put all of your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have your Bible this morning? All right, 2 Peter chapter 1 is where you need to go. And as you're turning there, I want to say, I am super thankful for Pastor Dylan. I am super thankful for that guy. I love that guy and am thankful that God has brought him here to serve with us. As I listened to him preach last week, I was impressed. I was encouraged. I was challenged. It was really good stuff. It was really good stuff last week. I was able to listen to it on 2x speed because I wasn't listening to it live, which was a ton of fun. Like to speed him up, man, that was, that was a ton of fun to listen to. And, and as I listened through it, I kind of forgot that I had sped it all up. And then as he transitioned to the response song, Ryan jumps up here and starts playing his guitar. Like, and I thought, man, we're upbeat, upbeat response today. This is good. And then I realized I was still on 2x speed and uh, it wasn't quite like that live. Um, I'm, I'm super thankful for Pastor Dylan. I'm thankful for the worship team. We're really blessed here at First Baptist with pastors who care for our souls. I am blessed to have Pastor Dylan and Pastor Joe watching over my soul, the souls of my family. I'm super thankful for them. I'm really thankful for both of those guys and the way they honor the Lord in their service here at First Baptist Harrisburg. I trust that you are thankful for them as well. And I want to encourage you to find some way sometime really soon to express your gratitude and appreciation to them. Uh, an attaboy goes a long way every once in a while. Uh, it doesn't seem difficult for people to find a way to express their frustrations or their disagreements or their um, <laughs> whatever with us. I want to encourage you to find a way to express your appreciation, your gratitude toward those guys. I'm so thankful that while I'm gone, they hold the reins. And I'm thankful that when I'm here, we hold the reins together. And I want you to understand that that's the way it works here. It's not that when I'm gone, I hand the reins that I've been holding exclusively off to those guys as your pastors to lead you in my absence. And then when I come back, I take them from them. No, when, when we're together, we're holding those reins together, watching over your souls together as your pastors. I want you to understand that's the way it works. Pastor Dylan covered part two of the passage in First Peter, I mean, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, by paying close attention last week to verses 5 through 9. He covered it thoroughly. He covered it faithfully. It was helpful. I especially liked his alliteration with the letter P. And as he was talking through that, I was really thankful for our sound system here. I was at a meeting recently where every time a speaker made the P sound, the microphone popped like loudly. And I'm thankful that wasn't the case here last week, although I trust that if it had been the case, none of you would have fallen asleep last week. 
one of the highlights for me was when he talked about the heaviness in his heart, knowing that a sermon on sanctification is futile for some in the room because they have not been converted. Talking about growing in Christ is meaningless for those who have not come to know him at all. Dylan's heart is so soft to this. So soft to the fact that some in this room have never tasted the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when he said that he spent time last week in prayer for conversions, you can believe that. You can believe that he spent time in prayer for you last week. I often go by his office to talk to him and interrupt him in prayer. At least, at least that's what he says. Maybe napping. Now, I know his heart well enough to know that he prays for you regularly, on his face before the Lord, praying for you. And I trust that he was praying for conversions last week, and I trust that God will honor those prayers in his own time and in his own way. I also appreciated his talk about the pattern of godliness requiring effort throughout the New Testament. Like this idea that Peter is talking about last week and what we'll talk about again this week about the effort that we are called to put in to our growth in sanctification, our growth in godliness. That's not Pastor Peter's idea. It's not unique to him. It's not unique to the epistles in the New Testament. It's not just Peter and Paul see it this way. Even the Lord Jesus talks this way. I really appreciated how he traced that really quickly through the New Testament. I liked how he said that we should not be satisfied in the current state of our walk. Like we should never be satisfied with the current state of our walk with the Lord. We should always be seeking to grow. And I love that picture of growing at the rate that 10 years from now, we look back at this day and say, did I even really know him then? Like, was I even following him faithfully then? Because we have grown so much between now and then. I thought it was especially provocative when he said, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. If there's no evidence of possession of these traits and progression in these tra traits, he said, you need to find someone because there's a really real problem. Like, if you don't possess these things that were outlined, these eight traits, if you don't possess those things and if you're not progressing in them, you need to talk to someone because there's a problem. And it may be a couple of different kinds of problems. One, it may be that you're just struggling in normal ways. In normal ways, in the path of sanctification, you may just be struggling right now. Even healthy ways that we struggle, where you are discontent with the pace of your growth. And you'd say, I'm not growing like I was back then. I'm not growing like I want to be. Talk to somebody about that and say, can you, can you help me? It's one of the applications that I'm going to make later today is that we help each other in the process of sanctification. We help each other by encouragement and also by rebuke. We are in this together. Sanctification is a community project. It's a group project, and God has designed the church to be that community. So maybe you're just struggling in normal ways, healthy ways, discontent with your pace of growth. Or maybe you're lost. He talked about the flat line. Medically speaking, means there's no life. When the monitor shows a flat line, there is no life. Friends, if, if your life is a flat line, it may be that there's no life in Christ at all in you. You need to talk to somebody about that, about repenting of your sins and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, being converted, being saved. Maybe all of this talk in this part of 2 Peter chapter 1 is going to show some of you that you don't know the Lord. You thought you did. You thought you had had a life-changing experience, but the evidence shows your life hasn't changed at all. And so you need to really have a life-changing experience. Maybe that's part of what God does in this text. Maybe it's part of what he does today. And then I loved how he set you up as a, that was a good preacher move, man. 
I got one application. Eight parts. That was gold. I love it. You're learning, you're learning quick, man. It's a good trick. And I loved how he got really specific about that, asking questions about those eight virtues. Are you making progress in those eight virtues? Are those characteristics developing in your life? And then he finished by saying, this is a warning. Don't be lazy. Jesus is our only hope. Don't be lazy. And those two things go together perfectly. That may feel like friction. It may feel like tension in your mind. Don't be lazy. Jesus is our only hope. But yet we see those two things traveling together all throughout the scriptures. And we want to acknowledge that. This week, I'm going to finish our look at this section, part three, really, of our look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-11. through 11. And basically what we're going to see this week is Pastor Peter doubling down on the call to action from last week. One of the ways biblical authors emphasize things is by repetition. You see, they repeat things that are super important. Evidently, this sweaty, active pursuit of growth in the Christian life is important. So Pastor Peter says it twice. And he loads it up the second time. And that's what we're going to look at today. But I want us to read the whole section because it really is one thought. From verse 3 through verse 11 is one thought. Arguably from verse 1 through verse 11 is one thought, but we've been looking at 3 through 11. So pick it up with me here in verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory over your calling and choosing of us, how you have brought us from death to life, how you have brought us from darkness to light, how you have taken us from enemies to adoption as children. And you've done this by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You have granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You have granted to us precious promises. So Lord, help us to respond rightly to all of that. Not with passivity, not with loose living, not with forgetfulness. Lord, help us to be diligent, to make every effort in your spirit to be the people you have made us to be. Help us to grow each day we live on this earth until the day when you welcome us into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.
All right, so we're going to zoom in and look closely at verse 10 and 11 today. And if you'll notice, the very first word in verse 10 is therefore. And I have been training you for the last 14 years to be on the lookout for this important connecting word. When we see therefore, we need to ask, what's it there for? Because this word lets us know that what Pastor Peter is about to say is very closely connected to what he has just said. In fact, it flows right out of that. He's been using a variety of connecting words to keep his argument tight throughout this section. As we've looked at it now over three weeks, he's been using these connecting words to transition the thought, to keep it steady. He said in verse 5, now for this very reason also, as he launched into the application, the imperative calls to action that were based on the indicative statements in verses 3 and 4. He says in verse 8 and verse 9, 4, right? Those are all connecting words. And while this is one big connected thought from verses 3 through 11, the therefore here in verse 10 seems to be most closely linked with the last two statements that Pastor Dylan shared with you last week. I think he's, he's basically playing off of verses 8 and 9 when he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. Look at verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9 he says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So basically, Pastor Peter said, If these qualities are yours and increasing, good news. If they are not yours, bad news. And this is something we really need to consider. Pastor Dylan called you to this last week. I want to do it again today. Are these qualities mine? Are they yours? Are they increasing? Are they lacking in your life? Are they lacking in my life? Have I maybe forgotten or have you maybe forgotten your purification from former sins? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, good news. If they are not, bad news. So therefore, based on that concept, Peter says, brethren, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Before we get into being diligent, I want us to zoom in on the word brethren here, though. I don't want to skip over that word. It's an important word in the argument, and it hits on one of the things that Pastor Dylan said last week, one of the very first things he said last week. What we are seeing here is a message for the church, for those who are brethren. For those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's for those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. It's for those who are repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus Christ. And that's many of you. By God's grace, that's many of you in this room. But it's not all of you. And so here's a message for the rest of you. It's good news. It's really good news. But it doesn't start out sounding so good. The good news starts out by teaching us about the holiness of God. That God is holy. He's altogether different. He's altogether just and he's altogether righteous. And he must punish sin. In his holiness, in his righteousness, he must punish sin. Which is bad news for us because we are all sinners. Man is sinful. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we deserve only his wrath for all of eternity. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. 
That's a big problem, right? That's bad news for us. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man is bad news for every person on the planet. Because we stand condemned, rightly condemned, under the just wrath of God against our sins. Here's the good news. There's a way of salvation. And the way of salvation has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, dwelt among us, lived a life that we could not live, and died the death that we all deserve to die because of our sins. The Bible teaches us that though he knew no sin, he became sin for us. In other words, there was this incredible transaction, the imputation, the crediting of my sin, your sin, to Jesus as he hung on the cross and suffered in our place. He was our substitute. He took the punishment that we deserve when he died. The wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned, but he died. Why did he die? For us, for you, and for me. He didn't just die, though. They buried him after he died. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death and hell, victorious over every enemy that would hold us captive, victorious and vindicated as the true son of God. And he offers us salvation. He offers us forgiveness of our sins, cleansing, not just on the outside, but from the inside out. He offers us reconciliation to him. We were his enemies because of our sin, but in Christ, we become friends of God, children of God, even. He offers us salvation, not as the product of our effort, but as a free gift. That's what the Bible says about it. The wages of sin, what we have earned for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we receive that free gift by believing, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We often say here, we rest our whole weight on him. We depend completely upon him for our right standing before the Father. And accompanied with that trust, with that faith in Jesus, we repent of our sins. We don't go on living the same way we always lived. We turn away from that and we walk in faithfulness, in obedience to him. So I invite you today, repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And become one of the brethren to whom Peter is preaching, to whom he is writing. He says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. If you are one of the brethren, this is the call. If you have repented and believed, are repenting and believing, this is the call for you today. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. This is super interesting because it keeps the call to action on our part linked to the work of God that only he can do. He doesn't separate these two things. He doesn't just call you to action apart from the work of God, and he doesn't just talk about the call of God apart from your call to action. He's going to link those two things together as the Bible does from cover to cover. He says, first, you, be all the more diligent. Brethren, be all the more, Christian, be all the more diligent. Dick Lucas says, Peter here even echoes the same Greek word, back from verse 5. But he underlines it twice by adding therefore and be all the more. His serious concern is that we take the responsibility to continue to the end of our Christian lives more deeply grounded within the same hope with which we started. 
you, brethren, be all the more diligent. Interestingly here, the verb is in the present tense. And I don't mean to bore you with grammar, but that's important in Greek. It's in the present tense, which communicates an ongoing action. That is, every day, every hour, be all the more diligent. Be all the more diligent. Not just a one-time thing that happened back in the past and you just write it out. No, every day, in every moment, be all the more diligent. Keep on, every day, being diligent. Don't let up. Don't give in. He says, you, be all the more diligent to make certain. And let's be clear, to make certain seems to be from our end of things, not God's end of things. By walking the path of sanctification, by growing in the virtues listed in last week's text and the others outlined in scriptures, we make ourselves certain that we possess the faith that we profess. It is not as if God is becoming certain of our calling and election in this process. We are the ones who are becoming certain of our calling and election. You see, his calling and election are sure. From his end of things, certain. He never fails. The question before us, though, is are we sure that he's called us? Are we sure that he has chosen us? Jim Shattuck says, as believers, we aren't assured of our salvation because we pray a prayer, respond to an altar call, go through a class, memorize verses like 1 John 5.13, or even get baptized. We are assured of our salvation as we progressively grow in our likeness to Christ and in the influence of his character to the culture around us. If that's not happening, the authenticity of the believer's salvation is suspect at best. Some of you may be like, nope, that's not what Baptists believe. Baptists believe once saved, always saved. Baptists believe you walk the aisle, pray the prayer, get dunked, it's done. Doesn't matter how you live after that. Doesn't matter if you grow at all after that. I will tell you that is not what Baptists believe. That's a perversion of the doctrine of eternal security. The Bible teaches that if we have been saved, we will always be saved. If we have been saved. We will always be saved. And if we have been saved, there will be evidence of that salvation in our lives. I love that Pastor Dylan said, it's not straight line. It's not straight line up. It's ups and downs. It's valleys and peaks. But it is progress. It's possession of these traits and progress in these traits in Christlikeness is not perfection, but it is progress. And that is the evidence that we belong to him. We are not talking here in this text about the security of our salvation. We are talking here about assurance of salvation. Those are, those are two different things. If we are saved, it's secure. If he has done it, he will not undo it. And we cannot undo it. If he has done it, though, there will be evidence that he has done it. So the question is, are you saved? Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. That's super interesting, that last part, right? Because it anchors this whole talk not about mere human performance, as if our work brings us into right relationship with God. Rather, it roots all of this in the sovereign grace of God. You see, He is the one who brings us into a relationship with Him. We couldn't do this ourselves because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And we wouldn't do this ourselves because we love the world and we love our sin and we love ourselves. He changed us by his grace. He changed us. And the evidence of that change is seen in the way we live. I told you a story before that one of my favorite preachers, Paul Washer, tells. Um, he, says, he says, if I walked into the room late and you were to say, oh, Brother Paul, why are you late to this meeting? And he says, well, you're not going to believe this. On the way here, I had a flat tire. And as I was changing the flat tire, one of my lug nuts rolled out into the road. And as I went to get it out of the road, a log truck was coming down the highway and it hit me. It ran me completely over. And that's why I'm late. He says, you would say to me, Brother Paul, you're a liar. You're a liar. If you're going to tell us that you got run over by a log truck, and you're standing here in front of us just a few minutes late, if you really got hit by a log truck, there would be much more, much more impact on your life than that. And yet, Paul Washer says, there are maybe dozens in this room who claim to have had a life-changing experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there's no evidence of it in their lives. There's no real change. You say, I've been hit by a log truck and you look the same as before. You say, I've been changed by the power of God through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you live the way you always lived. You live just like your lost neighbor, who says, I don't care anything about that gospel. I don't care anything about that Jesus. He changes us, and the evidence of that change is seen in the way we live. So it seems... The important question raised here is, have you been called? Have you been chosen? And in asking this, we're hitting on an important issue, this assurance of salvation. R.C. Sproul helpfully and pastorally says this, there are four types of people with respect to the assurance of salvation. One, unsaved people who know they are not saved. Two, saved people who are unsure if they are saved. Three, Saved people who know they are saved. And four, unsaved people who are sure that they are saved. Let's walk through those a minute because I think, I think that's fair. I think that's representative of what, what we've got in the room today. Number one, unsaved people who know that they are not saved. That's not such a bad place to be. Just to be honest with you, that's not such a bad place to be. It's a terrible place to stay, but it's not such a bad place to be. Because you cannot be saved unless you get to that place. You will not cry out for someone to save you unless you know you're lost. So maybe you walk in this room today and you say, I know I'm lost. I know I'm unsaved. I'm certain about that. You may be in the best place ever to say, oh, Lord Jesus, I need you. Rescue me. Save me. I believe that you died for me and I submit myself to you entirely. That's number one. Number two. Saved people who are unsure if they are saved. I think there are a lot of church people that are like that. And I would not counsel you by saying, oh, look at, look at the front of your Bible. There's a date written where you walk to aisle and pray to prayer. You don't even have any doubts. I would say, why do you have those doubts? If you're a saved person who's not sure that they're saved, my question would be, why are you, why are you worried about that? What is it in your life that is causing you this anxiety? What is it in your life that is causing you this lack of assurance? Maybe 
It's because you lack trust in Christ. Maybe it's because you lack familiarity with the truth of the gospel. Maybe you've been misled. Maybe you've bought into a false gospel. Or maybe it's because of evidence of an unredeemed lifestyle. I I really think that there are people who are troubled with the assurance of salvation because of the way they live in sin. And you should be troubled. Like if you're a Christian and you're living a steady pattern of sin, you should be troubled by that. You should not have all the assurance in the world of your salvation. You should be troubled by that and let that trouble lead you to repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing we do at conversion. Repentance is something we do every day as we walk with the Lord. As we step into sin. Step out of it in repentance. Number three. Saved people who know they are saved. There's a part of me that wants to say, that's the sweet spot. That's, that's where we want to be. And in many ways, I, I believe that. That's where we want to be. I'm saved and I know that I'm, I know that I know that I know that I know. You hear preachers say sometimes, right? That's a good place to be. And if you're there, let me say this. Take heed. Lest while you think you stand, you fall. Don't become proud. Stay humble and submissive and living a lifestyle of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe number four is the most dangerous place. Unsaved people who are sure that they are saved. That's the most dangerous place. And I would ask that person, why? Why do you have such confidence? And that's why we read Matthew 7 at the beginning of the service. Thanks for doing that. There's all this warning. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? Did we not? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. The wise man is like the man who built his house on the rock, right? The one who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And it fell and great was its fall, right? Maybe the most dangerous place is to be unsaved and sure you are saved. Resting on something that happened 20 years ago that hasn't made a bit of difference since then in your life. Who wins there? Who do you think is just happy when lost people are certain they are saved people? Because they are resting on their church membership or their record of giving and not a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. The devil loves that. Which of those four categories rings most true to you? That's something I want us to think about today. But read on in the text. He says, Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. These things obviously refers back to the virtues and characteristics that were outlined last week and are outlined in the rest of Scripture. The possession and progression of these things in your life. This process of sanctification that we've talked so much about. To never stumble certainly does not mean that you will never sin. Right? It can't mean that. You will surely sin. Jesus teaches us, when he teaches us to pray, to pray regularly for the forgiveness of our sins. John tells us in in his first letter, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. You're a liar. Of course we sin. And as brothers, as Christians, when we sin, we repent quickly. 
So to not stumble certainly doesn't mean that we will never sin. So what does it mean? Tom Schreiner says this. Believers who confirm their call and election by living in a godly manner will not stumble. That is, they will not forsake God. They will not abandon him. They will not commit apostasy. Believers who abound in the qualities described in verses 5 to 7 will never fall away from God. I think he's right, especially as we remember the context. Peter is writing this letter to a group of people who are facing danger from within the church, from false teachers. These guys are teaching a false gospel that does not lead to salvation. These guys are living an ungodly lifestyle that evidences their distance from the Lord. And Peter, Pastor Peter, is trying to protect his people from following those guys down the wide road that leads to destruction that we read about, right? And I'm trying to do the same thing for you as well. This is the part of the, part of the role of a pastor watching over souls, is that you would not unknowingly even walk down the wide road that leads to destruction, but that I would be constantly calling you to the narrow path, the difficult path that leads to life, that you would be of the few who find it and enjoy eternity with him. Read on in verse 11. He says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This is the second part of the precious promise that is found here in this text. First, he says, if you practice these things, you will never stumble. Second, he says, entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be supplied to you, richly supplied to you. First, notice again the link between this call to action on our part and the provision of God on his part. The way, the way to the entrance is the walk of sanctification. But the entrance itself is abundantly supplied to us. The way is the walk of the sweaty walk of sanctification, the diligent pursuit of growth in godliness. That's the way, but the entrance is supplied to us. And that may feel like tension or friction intellectually in our minds. But it's the clear teaching of scripture from beginning to the end. I love the picture here in this text when it talks about the entrance into the eternal kingdom being abundantly supplied to us. It's this image of a grand homecoming, of a victorious athlete or a soldier returning home. What a day that will be, right? We sang a minute ago, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And then we said, even so, it is well with my soul. What a day that will be when he welcomes us home. As we have walked the path of sanctification, using everything he has supplied to us, we've walked the path of sanctification, and the entrance will be abundantly supplied to us. Not as a result, not as a result of our growth, but as a result of his grace, evidenced in our lives by the growth. In many ways, what we see here in verse 11 is the flip side of verse 10. There, the promise was, we will never stumble. We will never fall away. Here, the promise is, we will be welcomed home. And as we wrap this up, I want to remind you of something that Tom Schreiner said very plainly. It's so important for us to remember as we talk about sanctification, because we can, we can get off track when we talk about sanctification. And I don't want us to make that mistake. There are a couple of ways we can get off track in sanctification, right? One is by thinking that we do it all on our own and earn the favor of God. That's works-based righteousness, and it's not part of the gospel. Or we say, 
I don't need to do anything. He's done everything. I'll just sit back and ride. That's not what we're called to here either. Rather, what we're called to is this active dependence upon the Lord in our sanctification. Not passive dependence, not active independence, but active dependence on the Lord as we head toward heaven. Tom Schreiner says, we should not describe this as salvation by works, but salvation with works. That's pretty good. It's not salvation by works, but it's salvation with works, which is what James teaches us in his letter, right? I'll show you my faith by my works because the faith that saves is faith alone, but it's never faith that is alone. It's always accompanied by appropriate works. Be careful here. We're not talking about works-based salvation in this text. We're not talking about mere moralism. We're not talking about mere just do it right. We are talking about the fruit that grows on a good tree, which we read about in Matthew. We're talking about the fruit that grows on a good tree, which is a demonstration of the health of the root and the overall identity of the tree as a good tree. Bear fruit. That's what, that's what I'm saying to you. Bear fruit. That evidence is that you are a good tree. And you are a good tree by the grace of God alone. So bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. I want you as your pastor to have a reasonable, biblical confidence that you have been saved. That you will not stumble and that you will be welcomed into Christ's eternal kingdom. That confidence is ultimately rooted in the power and grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that confidence is visible through the progressive sanctification of his people. So I ask you, are you growing? Not have you grown. Are you growing? Maybe let me push it a little further. Do you even want to grow? Do even, you even want to grow? Or are you like, I think I've grown enough. I've grown enough to pass the test. I'm good. I'll just hang tight here, right where I'm at. That doesn't seem to be the picture that's painted here. That doesn't seem to be what Pastor Peter wants for his people. And that's not what I want for you. Because I will preach your funeral. And I want to have confidence on that day that you are with the Lord. I've, I've preached too many funerals where I've not had that confidence. Where I've had to just lean on the hope that there was more going on than what I could see. That there was more going on than what any of us could see. And that's real hope. But I want to have confidence for you. I want to I be able to stand here over your bodies. And say with as much confidence as possible, biblical, reasonable confidence, this one is with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Brothers and sisters, we can help each other walk that path. We can help each other make sure of our calling and election by affirming and encouraging each other as we observe progress. Like when you see somebody getting it, when you see somebody growing, when you see somebody doing things that look like Jesus, you should say, I saw that. We should say, I saw that. That was great. 
That looked like Jesus. You look like Jesus right there. You didn't used to look like Jesus right there, but now you do. I'm seeing that progress in you, and I want to encourage it. Man, attaboy goes a long way, doesn't it? In your relationships with one another, attaboy or girl, it goes a long way. And we can do that for each other, and we should. We can also do that by confronting and warning each other when we observe regression and worldliness. It is not a loving thing to watch a brother slide into sin. It's not a loving thing to stand back and just let it happen. The most loving thing we can do is warn, rebuke, confront, restore. Spirit of gentleness, making sure there's not a log in our own eye. All those things are true. But we work on this together. And all of this, this helping each other walk the path of sanctification implies fellowship. It implies sharing. It implies intimacy and vulnerability. We need to grow in that. I need to grow in that. Walking together. Those are the applications for brothers and sisters. Friends who are not part of the spiritual family, not been redeemed by the grace of God yet. Today's the day. Repent and believe today. Everything changes. He will give you everything you need for life and godliness. And he will give you a family to walk the path of sanctification with. Let's stand together and pray. Well, Father, we do rejoice over all that you have done in our lives, those things that only you can do. And we want to respond rightly to all of that, not with passivity, not with loose living, not with forgetfulness. We want to be diligent to make every effort in your spirit to be the people you have made us to be. So help us grow. Every day we live here, help us to grow until the day when you welcome us into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for friends who are gathered with us. They are not brothers and sisters yet. Only you can change them. You changed us. And so we ask you to use that same power, that same grace in them. Give them hope, give them life, to bring them in, change them forever and ever, we pray in Christ's name, amen.